figarun ke imis tu suton ehontes perikimenon imin nefos marturon, okon opothemeni panta ketin etvarisaten amartian di upomenis trechon, ton prokimenon imin agona, aforontes intontis pisteos archigon ketelioton, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The reading of the word from Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him, he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. Uh, those of you that are here with us and those of you that were with us online, uh, we're good to have you here. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews up through until Advent, and Hebrews is a great book. And the fundamental question of Hebrews is, if God is good, if Christ has the power to save us, if God loves us so much, why are things so hard? And according to Tim Keller, the answer to that question that we're going to discover in the book of Hebrews is because life is a journey. It's a journey from weariness to rest, from alienation to the presence of God, from isolation to the city of God. And the only way we're going to get home is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And the only way we're going to get there is, is not by bursts and not by sprints, but through endurance. Do you know how to fix your eyes on Jesus? Because that's the only way home. It sounds like something we need to hear today. Green Day wrote this great song several years ago called Wake Me Up When September Ends. And if you listen to the stations I listen to, it's about to come on. They're going to play it for a month and then you're not going to hear it for a year. And I remember the first time I heard that song feeling like a yes, I am ready to just skip ahead. It was written by Billy Joe Armstrong, who's the lead singer of, of Green Day. And, and it's, it's interesting because he wrote that song. It's one of the few autobiographical songs he ever wrote. He wrote it about his dad, who died when Billy Joe, Joe was just 10 years old. And it kind of changes the tone of the song, doesn't it? Does it resonate with you? Just wake me up when this is all over. Anybody ever wanted to hit fast forward past hard tests or finals or just wake up and poof, it's Thanksgiving and we're all done? Hit fast forward until the grief has become bearable. Skip ahead until they're finished with the construction on, on sales or clack. Fast forward until the vaccines are here and you finally feel safe. Pass forward past the election, all the robocalls and the political ads. Amen, somebody? Amen. You guys are back in the room now. I'm going to need a little help with these things now. 
You got, it's time to jump back into the sermon. Well, that sort of thing happened to me this week. I was sitting in my office and I opened up my Bible to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and suddenly time snapped. And I looked over and there was a Christmas tree sitting in the corner. And the wall, the calendar on my wall became an advent calendar with all those little doors open except for one. Suddenly, it had happened. Wake me up when this is all over. Suddenly, it was Christmas. But then it got a little confusing because I kept reading our text and it happened again. The Christmas tree transformed into a lily and and the advent calendar turned into a Lenten calendar and and suddenly Valen Durrington came on the radio and he was singing, Arise, my love. I had jumped forward again. What was happening? I want you to listen to this passage again and hear how the author, by the way, we don't know who that was. We know it's not Paul. Nobody really knows. It could have been uh, Priscilla or maybe Apollos. It doesn't really matter, but what we do know is that they are a preacher. More than any other part of the New Testament, this book is meant to be read out loud. You're supposed to hear it. And see if you can feel the motion as the author moves us from Christmas to the cross to Easter. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir to all things, through whom created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Advent. Now see if you can hear Easter. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Did you hear it? Jesus is the final and complete revelation of God. Jesus is word. There's a beauty to the diversity of Scripture. If you don't love Judges, you know, maybe Genesis speaks to you. And if Ecclesiastes feels like Babel, maybe the wisdom of Job rings true. James might be just a little bit too practical to you, but the book of Revelation evokes mystery and wonder. That's the beauty of Scripture. And I once had this elder who liked to ask this question. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't put a giant blinking sign on the moon saying, here I am? Why doesn't God just speak? Perhaps the miracle of God is not that God is silent, but how much God has spoken to us. God spoke again and again and again, prophet after poet after prophet after poet. And the text is literally translated as in various ways, in various times, God has been speaking. In drips, in drabs, in piecemeal ways. But in these last days, the writer says, in these last days, God has spoken in a final way, in a complete way, through a son. 
It's as if all of history was a rainstorm, a coming rainstorm, and at first a drop here, and then a drop there, and then suddenly the torrent comes, and we are drenched in the wonder and glory and the knowledge of God. There will be no more further expression of God than Jesus. There will not be no fuller, there will not be no, there will be no more fuller expression of God than Jesus. And it will never happen until the end of time. And, and Keller notes how hard that is. That's, it's the way it is, and that's it. But it's true. But in this is actually a promise. In this is actually a pretty amazing thing because there is no intimacy without finality. There's no intimacy unless you can accept the finality of someone else. You know this story. You want to get married because you're in love, because that other person completes you, because you're a good team and you like to do things together. And so you make a covenant. And then about 30 minutes after that covenant, your other does something that you don't like, contradicts you, reveals something about themselves that irks you. As one person tweeted, I find it difficult to French kiss a person who takes a new roll of toilet paper and stacks it neatly on top of the old empty roll. And I get that. That promise, it, it, uh, the experience is, is this period of non-intimacy. And you try to negotiate those differences. I can change them, you say to yourself. And you may be able to do that. But sooner or later, that effort is going to cost you intimacy. My microwave does exactly what I want it to do. If I want it to make popcorn, it makes popcorn. If I want it to cook on low for 30 seconds, it cooks low on 30 seconds. I have absolute control over my microwave, but you can't have a relationship with an appliance. And it's not until you're able to accept the other with finality, that you're going to experience true intimacy. When you love them for who they are, just exactly where they are, just because that's who they are, then you're going to experience real love. And when that happens, the gifts are, are better, and the moments are sweeter, and the conflict is surmountable. The sex is better because it's final. You know that they've accepted you for exactly who you are and you've accepted them for exactly who they are. It's safe. It's true for your spouse and it's true for God. But that's not easy. That's hard. Because that means that God isn't going to be exactly what you think you want God to be. Most of us want a God that functions more like a butler than Lord, but there are going to be hard edges of, about God, tough things to accept, and, and God is going to say some difficult words because God is not a microwave. And the wonder of Jesus is that God accepts you through his Son exactly as you are. And that it completes this experience of intimacy. And Jesus does that by being the final word from God. Now, there may be new insight or new knowing or new facets that you hadn't seen before, 
but there will be no new revelation until the end of time. But Jesus is not just any son. Jesus is the heir of all things. All things are created through him. He is the reflection of God's glory. And if we dip back into Exodus, by the way, Hebrews is going to dip back into the Old Testament again and again and again. And he's going to pull stories back and bring them into this, this understanding of who Jesus is. If we dip back into Exodus, we learn about God's Shekinah glory. It's the radiance of God. It's the radiance that stopped the Egyptian army in its tracks. It's the radiance that happened at Mount Sinai that causes all of Israel to fall on their faces. I don't know if it was as powerful here as it was a couple of years ago. Do you remember that eclipse that went through? It was, San Jose was in the perfect spot to view that eclipse. And, and we were, I worked at a, a church that had a school in it. And so all day long, we saw these children come out and they'd line up against the wall and then they'd take those smoked uh, glass goggles and they'd look up up at the sun and then look back down. And, and the, 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 the teachers were very serious about not damaging these children's eyes. And so they were told like, as you walk out of the building, keep your eyes on the ground or the feet of the kid in front of you and do not look up. And so all of these kids would just, they walked out and then they crashed into each other. And then they were handed these goggles. They got to look up at the sun for about all of 20 seconds and then down back in the door. But our maintenance guys, they had their own little goggles, and they were doing work outside, and I'd go out and sit there and talk with them, and they'd just take a look up, and they'd just look for a while, and then go do their work, and then they'd see more about how it changed like the sun can move, but it was always in the same spot, and, and, and I'd go out there and look with them every now and again, and I got a text from one of our maintenance guys that evening, and he said, my eyes feel like they have sandpaper in them. Uh, really? I said, put some drops in. I've been doing that all night. The next day he showed up, his eyes were red. And I said, man, you got to go to a doctor. And this, this maintenance guy, he goes to the doctor and the doctor said, yeah, I've had about 12 cases exactly the same as yours. You looked for too long at the eclipse. Even the radiance of the sun can destroy our eyes. But somehow the miracle of the radiance of God is that drawing closer makes you want to be, it makes you want to be better. It doesn't burn you, it illuminates the goodness in you. And that's, that, that, that sun is the exact imprint of God's very being. It's the one who sustains the universe. As one of my philosophy professors uh, said, do you think for a moment if the transcendent Christ blinked, the universe would remain? The very existence of our world is because God continues it to be so. Because God ongoingly wills the universe to exist, it exists. And you think this guy's going to be your butler? Yet, Jesus, not just the sun, but the air, the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being, manifesting the full character of the one whose holiness is compassionate, whose judgment is forgiving, whose power is redeeming, whose knowledge is comprehensive, and whose sovereignty is self-emptying. Jesus collapses the waveform, the superposition. Now, I've heard it said anyone that claims to understand quantum physics doesn't. And I'm going to admit to you, I have no idea what I'm about to talk about, but I read it, and I'm, it's probably right. So 
Uh, here's the one thing that we do know. When an electron is, is, is circling around the core, the nucleus of an atom, it, it is everywhere. It's going faster. It's, it's probably the speed of light. And it is literally everywhere at any moment and all the time. And in fact, the electron functions as if it's everywhere within that cloud at any point all the time. It's, it's a waveform that is superimposed. It's in superposition because it's everywhere in that cloud at once all the time, even though it's one particle, until you measure it. And then the moment you measure it, the waveform collapses, superposition fails, and you know exactly where the electron is. Before that, you had no idea, but when you measure it, you know. And the waveform collapses, and all of the possibility of the potential just disappears to one. Um, that's what Jesus does. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus does this to the universe. He does this to Scripture. C.S. Lewis um, experiences this in the Space Trilogy. And, the, and there's this beautiful moment where the, the character that, that goes along each of those books, Ransom, he goes to visit Venus in the second book. And in the first book, he visits Mars. And Mars is older than the Earth, but Venus is younger than the Earth. And, and in Mars, there are beings that have souls and spirits that are aliens. But when he goes to Venus, he realizes that all the beings that have souls and spirits look human. They're in human form. And, and, and Lewis explains that once God became flesh in human form, the nature of the universe changed. And all God-breathed beings would retain that form. Jesus does the same thing as Scripture. In the sense that when we read the Bible, we read it through the lens of Jesus. That's the only way we can read it. For instance, Jesus is, a, is, is approached by a bunch of religious teachers and rabbis what the most important laws were. Lots of laws in the Old Testament, lots of different ways to be obedient to God, but which was the most important? Because sometimes you're going to have to pick between two laws, so which one should be the, the better law, the super law? And this is the same way that most of us debate which is the best iced tea at a chicken finger joint around here in Abilene. That's an easy debate to have. You might like this, I might like that, but it's a great debate. Um, why do we have so many chicken finger joints here in Abilene? One good Cambodian pho place, it's hidden in a donut shop, but you can't throw a rock without hitting chicken fingers. I don't understand, whatever. But Jesus answers that question about what's the most important law. He says, well, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the moment when Jesus answered that question, the moment when Jesus spoke those words, the superposition of the debate around what were the most important laws collapsed into one thing. There's one law that's the most important, and the second is close to it. The waveform collapsed. The debate ended. And this is true in your own life. You've experienced that waveform collapse over and over and over as you've made decisions. You chose what college to go to if you went to college. And because you chose one place, that means you couldn't chose, choose anywhere else. And so the people that you met at that one place that influenced you, all the other places that you could have gone, they can't influence you. If you're married, you chose to get married and you chose to marry one person. That means you said no to everyone else. You said yes here, but you said no to everything else. You chose a place to live. And because you chose here and not Dallas and here and not Seoul, Korea, here and not London, that means your world is going to be drastically different. The moment you had a kid, it changed your world. You don't, you don't go back from that. 
Jesus as the final word, the final revelation that God is going to speak collapses the superposition. There is no other way to find salvation. There is no other path to enlightenment. There's no other obedient way. There's no other good life. It's only Jesus. Yet in this degree of of certainty, what we're going to find in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is is way more complex than just to say it's something simple and cleanly. There's all of these paradoxes that surround who Jesus is. Jesus is the high priest and the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the judge and the forgiving friend. Jesus is God, the stamped image of God's glory, and a vulnerable human. Jesus is God sitting at the right hand of the Father, accomplished uh, salvation of the universe, and... He does it by being a humble servant. Jesus is the complete revelation from God, the final word, and the harbinger of something completely new. Jesus holds the paradox. Jesus exists as tension. Our our tendency might be to resist that, to, to keep pulling on the edges, trying to straighten them out and pin them down as if we could place God onto some sort of specimen mounting case. The book of Hebrews is going to force us to make a choice. One of the other ways that Jesus collapses the wave. You know, the prophets who came in drips and drabs, they all said the same thing. Thus saith the Lord. Isaiah, thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah, thus saith the Lord. Amos, thus saith the Lord. Do you know what Jesus says? Truly, truly, I say to you. In our minds and in our hearts, we have a throne whom we offer our fealty. And either Jesus is the ultimate reflection of God's glory, the final image of God's person, the sustainer of everything that has ever existed, or he's nothing. He is either to be ignored or worshiped with total selves, with every ounce of our will and every beat of our hearts. But the truth is, is that I don't make either of those choices. N.T. Wright says the problem with most of us is that we live between those two places, never completely accepting the reality of Christ and never completely abandoning it. And as Wright says, what a shallow place to be. And so this week, I'd like to invite you to do one thing. I want you to engage in a, a spiritual discipline of hearing. I want you to listen to or read aloud the book of Hebrews. And because the the nature of Hebrews, it's one giant sermon that we're going to cut up into little pieces. I'd love for you to hear it in as big as pieces as you can so you can kind of feel the flow of the music as it goes through. I want you to listen or, or, or read aloud the book of Hebrews beginning to end. Hear who Jesus is. Hear who the word is. And see what happens. See how it changes you. See what happens when the creator of heaven and earth entered the world and made all things new. May you be filled with the spirit. May you be captivated by God's love. And may you go in peace.